The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus stood among the disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering. And he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. One of the aspects of my ministry that I find to be very interesting and rewarding is the midweek study group that we have that meets at noon on Wednesdays. And we've been uh, spending more than a year in the Gospel of John, and we finished it Wednesday. (laughs) I think uh, there was a silent roar that went up. (laughs) We've had it with John. (laughs) But... But it is it was an amazing study, really. And the thing that makes that group so interesting is that we're so diverse in terms of our theological perspective. Uh, Some in the group are much more liberal than I am. (laughs) And some theologically are much more conservative than I am. And I find myself being really challenged by these different ideas that come forth as we go through that as we've gone through that gospel. It's also an interesting thing that as we read the scriptures, and especially as we read the Gospels, I find myself, and I've noticed in in this class, others as well, struggling with uh, every now and then wondering, did it really happen that way? Is that really the way it was? And then, of course, there's the question as we read that, was that something that was written specifically for those who were to receive that gospel? So it had a particular intention in the way it was written. And then uh, all of us, I think, uh, struggle trying to connect what we hear in the gospel readings with our Christian life. So it's it's those three things that seem to come up uh, again and again. But I think we can get really bogged down in uh, trying to figure out if what we hear in the gospels really happened that way. It's like uh, trying to find the facts associated with the event and missing the truth that's being communicated by the scripture. Now, this is not a new problem. Uh, in fact, I think it's probably reflected in some of the scholarship that's gone, over, gone on over a number of centuries now. Uh, you probably are aware of the group called uh, the Jesus Seminar. Uh, 
And they are a group of scholars that are a, a part of the third quest for the historical Jesus. The first quest was uh, recorded by and, and was the work of Albert Schweitzer. He went back and looked at uh, the scholarship of the 18th and 19th century in an attempt to get at who the historical Jesus was. The second quest uh, was not very notable. It was done in the 1950s and 60s. But the third quest has been spectacular, in part because the scholars who lead that uh, third quest have a, a better idea of how to use media. Uh, you recall, if you haven't, if you don't connect with this, uh, you might connect with how they decide what Jesus may have actually said or did not say, because they will come together periodically, they used to, and vote by uh, casting a, either, a, I think it's a black or a red ball, indicating whether they thought that Jesus actually said those words or not. I used to be very offended by that, but I've grown to uh, accept it. <laughs> and uh, some of the scholars are really uh, wonderful. Uh, they've done uh, work that has helped, I think, all of us, no matter whether we're enamored of uh, the Jesus Seminar's works in general or not. And I, I think especially of uh, John Dominic Crossan, whose uh, writings of uh, Jesus' life have been just very enriching for all of us. But I think uh, all of this is an attempt to get at the facts, so to speak. And the, pr the problem is that these various quests with historical Jesus, I don't think, draw us any closer in faith to the Christ, the living Christ. The reality is that the Christian faith is not built on the historical record. It just isn't. Jesus was real and walked the earth, but we really don't know a lot about his life other than what we have in those Gospels. But the truth of the Gospels and the, and the growing of the faith comes from the resurrected Christ, the living Christ, who is alive in the church, the body of Christ, and who is in, alive in the life of believers. Jesus was real, and the living Christ is real in the lives of the church. Now, in the gospel today, I was, it was interesting. Judy started to read a lesson that we really should have today, along with this gospel, because the two are tied together. Uh, it's, it's, this is an account from Luke's gospel that might be uh, the same account as we heard last week from John, where Jesus appears to the disciples. But what's interesting about this account is that the disciples are gathered in fear and doubting in that room, locked away from the authorities because they were so afraid. But they were discussing something that had been reported to them. There were two disciples who had been on the road to Emmaus, and they were talking about the events that had taken place in Jerusalem. And a, st a stranger comes up and begins to walk with them who apparently doesn't know what happened. And they're, they're kind of put off by that. How could anybody not know what happened in Jerusalem today? This is on Resurrection Day. And then as they get closer to Emmaus, it seems that the stranger is going to walk on. And instead, they invite him to share a meal with them. And so they prepare a meal. And as they're sitting there and they see the stranger breaking the bread, they realize that it's Jesus in the breaking of the bread they realize it was Jesus. Well, the disciples are discussing this and certainly wondering whether or not this could possibly be a true account. 
And then suddenly Jesus appears in their midst and he acknowledges their fear and their doubt. And then he shows them his hands and his feet. And then he asks them if they have anything to eat. And they give him some broiled fish. And the scripture says that in his eating, in sharing of that meal, they realize that Jesus is with them, present with them. And then he disappears. And the same thing happened to the disciples who were in Emmaus. After they shared the meal with Jesus, he disappears. It seems to me that uh, these accounts of resurrection appearances of Jesus and the shared food are not just a coincidence. They're put there, I believe, always to point to the Eucharistic feast, to the sharing of our great ritual meal, the Eucharist. Now, when we think of portrayals of the Eucharist, we often think of the Last Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples uh, just before he was betrayed. But there are other accounts as well, more symbolic, perhaps. Uh, The narrative of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is certainly pointing to the sacred meal, the Eucharist. And we also, of course, see these accounts of the resurrected Christ sharing a meal with the disciples after his resurrection. But there's something else that I think underlies the sacrament of the Eucharist. We know that the most universal way human beings have of establishing and maintaining relationships is by sharing a meal. It seems that we we really get close to a person if we eat with them. Uh, A friend of mine, a priest in Texas, when he uh, prepares uh, couples for uh, for their wedding day and for their life in marriage, he always tells them to be diligent in sharing one meal together a day with the television off. (laughs) That's probably the hardest part. (laughs) But but he says that the people that he's followed and he knows of who have done that, their marriages have stayed together. There's something that binds us together in sharing a meal together. And I think that's certainly the case in the Eucharist. It builds relationships. We become, uh, it's a more intimate space in some way to sit with someone and to eat with them and to drink with them. But I think there's something more. And especially as we share the meal that's celebrated at this table, we're not only sharing of ourselves, but we're sharing in the living Christ. Christ is present with us as we celebrate that Eucharist. And not only that, it reminds us that God is always reaching out to us. Part of the reason that I invite all to come and receive is because I know of people whose lives have been transformed by the act of receiving communion before they've been baptized or confirmed. It's the act of receiving communion that has changed their lives. So I always invite all to come. The quest for the historical Jesus and our need to know uh, what really happened and how it happened, I think belies our need for facts. And if we had enough of the facts, maybe we could accept this Jesus. But the truth is, the facts aren't going to get us there. There's something much deeper. It's a relationship. And it's a relationship that's nourished week after week, day after day, as we're not only in communion around this table, but also as we commune with the living Christ, that we become deeper and deeper in our faith and grow closer to God. In this meal that we share, 
is it is the life of Christ and also we share in the kingdom of God. In this meal, we experience God's forgiveness and God welcomes us to God's table, not because of anything that we don't do or anything that we didn't do, but all because of what Jesus did. In this shared meal, we learn of God's unfailing hospitality, of God's reconciling love that is poured out for us week after week after week. In this shared meal, we are transformed into a community of God's people, God's people who celebrate the mystery of this Eucharist, the mystery of Christ present in our midst and realizing that as Christ is present in us, we also have a responsibility to take Christ with us out there beyond those doors. So we'll never know the facts of Jesus life. But what we do have access to is the truth of the risen Christ. And the truth of the Gospels that are brought to us by those writers who knew him, who knew the stories about him. And in those stories, I believe we are drawn closer and closer to the one who is risen. Amen.